Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today interview series. We feel lucky to be able to talk to so many smart, passionate, and knowledgeable people in healthcare. Now, we're taking our favorite interviews and sharing them with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy perspectives on the world of health IT. Hi, and welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm Colin Hung, and today I am joined by Jay Rosehart, president of the ambulatory group at Memorial Health System in Central, in Central Illinois. Jay, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm also joined by Greg Johnson, CEO of LifeLink. Greg, welcome to the program. Thank you, Colin. Good to be here. So, Jay, I'll start with you with a quick background. So what is, pre- what is being president of the ambulatory group at Memorial Health System really do? Sure. It's a, it's a mouthful. We're a $1.4 billion organization in central Illinois, headquartered out of Springfield, Illinois. Um, we serve in the neighborhood of half a million people across 26 different counties. Um, pretty rural area, actually, uh, very spread out. Uh, we've got five hospitals, but my job is overseeing everything outside the hospital. Uh, the primary care group, the uh, specialty care group, uh, urgent cares, home health, durable medical equipment, behavioral health, hospice, population health, a number of other things. Um, and really, that's the you know front for uh, the, the front door for the organization, the front door for the health system, uh, but also where all of the patient engagement and uh, consumerism action is taking place. And same question for you, Greg. Uh, give us a little bit of background about LifeLink. LifeLink is a technology company. We're focused on patient engagement. And so we run a platform that is conversational. We, we believe that the future of patient engagement in healthcare is all about making it simple, conversational and mobile. So we build applications on top of our platform that focus on inbound pre-visit workflows, and then also the outbound referral flows coming out of healthcare visits. So you can think of before, during, and after healthcare visits, but all of these applications tend to automate administrative processes that give efficiency to healthcare organizations and make the patient experience seamless and easy. Great, thank you for that background. Jay, I'm going to start with you. Um, over the last year, <laughs> yeah, everything outside of the walls of the hospital has been the focus, right? We want to keep people at home. We want to keep people safe. People don't want to come into the four walls of the hospital. That's a whole topic for our other discussion. But you must have seen some incredible demands being placed on you and your group to engage with patients in this sort of pandemic environment. Oh, absolutely. Um you know, right when the pandemic hit last year, um, we actually stood up uh, three different respiratory care clinics that were really designed to be a, a triage place for anybody that was having any kind of respiratory illness to evaluate them, determine if they needed testing, to determine if they needed um, any kind of uh, visit or assistance or telehealth um, and get them on their way. And um during that time, Greg and I had, uh, from LifeLink had been talking about a number of other issues, but this everything else kind of put a pause. And uh, while we were all uh, out there working, you know, 27 hours in a day, um, we had this kind of brainstorm about how can we potentially automate one of the biggest problems I was having with these respiratory care centers. And that was the phone lines were just flooded. Uh, everybody was scared. Uh, people were calling in and I was having to man a call center that was just massive in terms of the number of people, number of nurses, number of people necessary to, to, to essentially give out the same information. 
Uh, and so very quickly, LifeLink uh, and his and Greg and his team really helped us develop a COVID-19 screener uh, chatbot um, that could actively route patients to the ways in which we wanted them routed to our respiratory clinic. Um, and it, you know, it, it, it helped people engage in a way that they could get the information they needed in a very friendly, easy to follow format. And with a couple of clicks, even get hooked up and get connected to being ready for testing or being ready for a virtual visit or being ready for an in-person visit. Um, and, you know, it, the rest is sort of, sort of history. We, we managed to, um, actually do over 80,000 tests. And a lot of those were, were really coming through the LifeLink platform uh, to help us get those things arranged and set up. It's pretty fascinating. Uh, you know, maybe a question for you, Greg, how far did the LifeLink system take um, a patient when they called in or when they interacted? Like, it, you know, sounds like it came sort of right from the beginning. You took those initial calls, but then how far would you route them to, you know, the right care or getting the forms filled out? Like how, how far did you take it? I mean, you can almost think about a lot of these workflows as literally uh, the work that a human might have to do if a human was manning a phone or an agent in a center. And, you know, that involves a level of intake. So understanding what was actually being required. In this case, it required also just triage, being able to symptom check, for patients that might be, you know, when you're, you're testing for COVID and testing for symptoms and um, uh, uh, then making a decision based on the rules that Jana's team had about where, where to route, that could be to a, a live person. It could be to a procedure or a web page or a set of instructions, but unlike sort of a, a lightweight front end triage only, you know, our, our platform is really built to automate process. So, you know, if you can, if you can devise the the, the workflow or describe it, the, the, the system can actually enact a lot of the work that a human might have to do. So we, we, we typically think of, you know, not just one or two conversational interactions, but dozens along a workflow. And it should point to work that people would otherwise have to do. So in some ways we talk about what kind of rote, repetitive, procedural defined process can you take off the hands of, of people? Because frankly, that's robotic. It's, it's robotic process. And if you can take the robot out of the human and then scale it, which is really the thing that's going on here, this technology is as much about creating a great patient experience as it is about scaling human capacity. Uh, take, take a process, process that, a, that a human is running, um, but tends to be really well-defined and then run that at, at scale. But it should also be a process that when you put it in the hands of a digital assistant, patients really like. So it's not, it's not like you're compromising one way or the other. You get a good patient experience because it's 24 seven, it's available, it's smart, it sort of understands you and it's giving the underlying organization scale. So, I mean, the answer to your question is it, it, it kind of depends on the, on the actual journey of the patient, depending on how you screened out, it could take you pretty far in terms of process, but it might just be a very fast move to get somebody connected to a, to a, to give them the information on where to get tested, for example, um, and, and help them get there. Actually, that brings up a good point, Greg, uh, Jay, what was the impact on patients? How did they feel about interacting with the system once it came in, as opposed to getting to a live agent? Um, 
when they initially came. actually you know one of the things lifelink does really well on their platform is measure the engagement rate how many people actually start start the engagement how many people actually finish the engagement go all the way through to an endpoint whatever that endpoint might be um, and I think when we first initially launched it, and I think it still holds true today. I haven't looked at the, the data too recently, Greg. You might know better than I do. But somewhere in the neighborhood, a 70, 80% engagement rate of starting, and of those that start, another 70 to 80% that actually go all the way through. Wow. And so if you think about that, that's, that's really good. If I could get 70 to 80% of the people that need to lose weight to engage in actually doing the things they need to do to lose weight, We'd all be a much healthier community, a much healthier world, but we don't get there. Um, with a platform like this, that really speaks to how user-friendly, how, how um, patient-focused and, and forward-thinking uh, that LifeLink chatbot can really be to get people to actually engage in and actually uh, follow through with what they need to do. So do you think the engagement level was due to, uh, well, clearly, you know, just from what you said, uh, Jay, it didn't seem that people minded dealing with a form of automation as opposed to a, a human person. And I would assume that part of the reason is because they were able to get the answers very quickly and efficiently through Absolutely. this automation, right? Is that, would that be a fair statement? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think if I could ask you and Greg both right now, would you rather make a phone call and wait for 25 minutes for a person to actually have the time to answer that phone and then ask you questions and uh, give you a little bit of a personal touch or would you rather get a text message, press a link, fill out a few things and be done in about 15 seconds? I would hope both of you say, I'll take the 15 seconds. <laughs> so it, it's definitely speed, um, but it's also the understanding that comes with being able to uh, set up these conversations in a way that uh, makes it very repetitive, very clear, uh, very easy to follow. Um, and, and a lot more control than having 50 call agents all saying 50 different things, potentially. Gotcha. Gotcha. And just to give you guys a little context, uh, I'm asking these questions, A, because I am curious to know what you did for COVID, but, but really where I want to go to is what have you learned and how are you going to apply it going forward? Um, because you know, at the time of this recording, we're, we're slowly seeing the light at the end of the tunnel where we're, you know, everything's opening up. So I think most people want to put COVID in the rearview mirror. Uh, but I am curious to, you know, that's why I'm asking these questions because I want to see like, how can this be applied down the road? And, you know, we, we talk about the patient experience, but I also have to ask Jay and Greg, what was the impact on staff? Did the staff mind? Because we hear about, you know, when you hear the word automation, there's immediately a fear of oh, this is going to replace my job. It's going to take me away from what I do. How did the staff react when you implemented the LifeLink and um, was able to kind of have people self-serve, if you will, through your system? Yeah, frankly, my staff loved it. Um, I'll, I'll tell you that. And the, the whole reason why is there is a certain amount of monotony to saying the same thing to a different patient every day, day in and day out, and only having to use your brain to actually think about what that patient needs for the, the 20% that, you know, can't be covered in, in the, the 80% here. So, that that right there basically said, you know what, instead of just essentially following this script and doing the same thing every day, I need you staff to, to, to do what really I hired you to do, which is to think, to operationalize these things with the scheduling or these processes on the front end and really refocus them into more forward thinking work 
rather than just reactive and what I'll say is um, what should be more automated type work. Greg, I don't know Colin, if you've seen the same thing in other, other areas. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the larger, Colin, this is, I mean, in some ways, one of the larger arcs here is, you know, we've got a, increasingly, we're going to have a, a shortage, a supply shortage, uh, physicians, nurses, staff. And so, you know, the thing you don't want to do is tie up valuable, highly, highly cognitive, smart humans with lots of administrative work that should be automated, especially as Jay points out, patients can prefer it. You know, doing intake on the phone with a human, just newsflash, it's, it's not like a great consumer experience. It's not like, oh, I just can't wait to talk to the human. It's the gold standard for intake. When you have to give 14, 15, 17 pieces of information, it's actually not a better experience to talk to a human. It's better to do it with a digital assistant. That's the gold standard. So, and it turns out that filling out forms, getting reminders, asking questions, getting educated, a lot of that stuff falls right in the sweet spot of a smart, connected digital assistant. So I think really going forward, you know, staff, humans, trained humans should be elevating their game up to higher cognitive work. The stuff that humans are great at, empathy, understanding, gray areas, exceptions. Meantime, give give the, you know, give the consumers plenty of extra uh, capability and time to get their questions answered, to get, to get help where they need it. So that, that's really what this is all about. I like what you, you mentioned there, because it's a word we haven't heard for a while, uh, and that's consumerism and, and consumers and the consumer experience. And I know there's some controversy of whether or not patients are really truly consumers without price transparency and all those things, but putting that aside yep. for a minute, yep. Yeah. I think the, the core of the consumer uh, wording is the fact that, you know, we have Amazon, we can go online to our banks, we get everything we need through automation. We very rarely have to go to a teller now. And I think what people want is to see that or some of that apply into healthcare. So it's a word we haven't heard in a while because we've been so focused on dealing with COVID, but what are your gentlemen's opinion on are we going to go back to that now that we're kind of through this? Are we going to see a return to the need for more consumer-like experiences in healthcare? I, I think it's going to accelerate. Um, I, I think the, the need for moving towards consumerism was here well before COVID, uh, but the pandemic absolutely accelerated the need for health systems, for hospitals, for organizations to uh, focus on how they uh, address the consumer going forward. And it's, it's a pretty easy reason why and that is during the pandemic we, we proved a number of things we proved you can do a lot of healthcare this way mm -hmm. through something like zoom virtual right we we proved that frankly you don't need a waiting room we work with lifelink now to automate the old forms that used to fill out on a clipboard that somebody would actually try to read the handwriting of others and type into a system that would then get scanned and indexed into a system. And every once in a while, one of those you know, pages from the old dusty magazine that sits down in the uh, physician's office might get like scanned into somehow uh, and create all kinds of errors, all right? We went from that to now through a chat bot, through a conversational AI, you can automate that intake of the form, put it right into the system. Nobody has to scan anything. Nobody has to do any of that mindless work of typing in a form and typing in these preferences, 
uh, and you get much better accuracy, much better result. And not to mention the patient is doing that on their smartphone while they're sitting down watching Dexter or whatever their show of choice is. Yeah, and so in some ways, it's a great example of how a shift in innovation and how to engage a customer, a consumer, a patient in a workflow can actually have huge impact on the underlying sort of architecture and operations of a system. In this case, and we're talking about potentially at some point changing real estate decisions. How much real estate do you need tied up in waiting rooms if you can virtualize a lot of it and you're basically taking care of the workflow and the prep and the readiness and the forms completion ahead of a visit. And things are timed in such a way that when you're ready to see your doctor, you go right to the exam room. So once you start to virtualize this, and, and yeah, I, I think COVID <clears throat> accelerated all that, but let's remember consumers, people were going through the same kind of virtualization crash course in other industries. You know, it's not like you could go to your bank. It's not like you could. So what's, what's happened is that virtualization in general has just accelerated everywhere. So we've gotten used to doing, you know, zoom calls with our families and, you know, using our banks automation tools. And so this thing is, I mean, as we get out of COVID, as we get through it, this, the, the learnings, the maneuvers, and also the consumer expectation is going to be to lean into digital. So it, it, it's a moment. I mean, organizations that are good at this, that have learned how to, how to instrument their, their patient experience programs in ways that are seamless, fast, easy, low friction, and virtual, and asynchronous, by the way, meaning that, you know, it's one thing to go virtual with a televisit where you've got two people virtually talking to each other. It's another thing to separate out the, 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 the time completely so that workflow can happen at any time. You don't need two people. And that's really what a digital assistant can do. It holds the logic of a, of a workflow and can be deployed anytime at the time that a consumer prefers. So that's another kind of dimension of scale. And it's what consumers are going to expect. So we're, I think we're, it's, it's not just here to stay. It, it's, it's going to change the way that things work in a, in a, in a long-term sustainable way too. Well, Greg, before we got started, you, you said something that I really liked and you said, you know, during COVID, a lot of health organizations acquired some new superpowers, whether that was, you know, automated AI chatbots like you're talking about here or whether just better um, uh, processes and more efficient processes or the ability to work remotely and uh, through yeah. telehealth and other things. Yeah. And, and your, your comment was, you know, what are we going to use these new superpowers for going forward? Yeah. How are we going to do good yeah. with it? So let me ask that question of you, Jay. Now that you have this chatbot and, and this technology's capability in place, where are you going to apply it? Uh, Greg, I bet you know what I'm going to say. What happens every time we talk? Yes. I come up with 10 new ideas for how to use this technology. Every time I talk to Greg. Yep. The, uh, unfortunately, I think his, uh, his, his list of roadmap for Memorial Health System keeps getting longer and longer. It's all good um, stuff, Jay. It's all good stuff. But, you know, honestly, Colin, there, there's all kinds of places. We've, we've done this, you know, and, and, and done this a lot on the administrative side of healthcare to try and reduce some of the administrative burden. Uh, but the truth is we're going to have to start looking at how to automate even some of the clinical side. Um, I would love to see how, you know, the conversational AI technology um, can help with clinical care. And I think there's all kinds of great use cases for that. 
Um, one of the favorite ones that I'm, I'm working on right now and that uh, I know uh, Greg and I have had a number of conversations about is how about readmissions? One of the biggest problems with readmissions, in my opinion, um, is in the middle of a hospital stay, when you're doped up on a number of drugs and you're scared out of your mind, people are teaching you what you're supposed to do when you go home. Mm-hmm. It's already been proven that half the time people don't remember what they were taught. The other half of the time, when they go and look at their discharge paperwork, they can't understand it, right? What if they had a conversational AI who could talk to them two hours after they get home, the day after, the next night after, three days later, and during that whole uh, point in time, be asking things with input from the medical record like, hey, you got a new prescription prescribed. Did you pick it up? Yes or no? Did you take it? It looks like this. It should look like this. Remember, don't take it with alcohol. Um, Oh, it's time to change your wound dressing. Here's a video of exactly how to do it with the type of wound dressing that you got. All that kind of information really is information that should be automated, can be automated based on all the information we gather in healthcare and all the data we do. And that's just one example. There's probably a thousand other examples out there of how we could how we could potentially do that. Yeah, Colin, I know you, you've written about sort of PCP outreach and ED readmission sort of reduction based on smart uh, sort of outreach and, and consumer engagement. That, that it's a great use case for chatbots, just like uh, Jay is saying. You know, one of the things that maybe your readers may not see right away, but it is a very, very real superpower is it's one thing to sort of launch this patient-facing automation, smart conversational technology. It's another thing to tether it and integrate it into your own systems. And a lot of what MHS did in COVID and beyond is, you know, it's built a lot of great technology with great teams that know how to build good technology. So when you marry and integrate your systems of record and your other clinical systems with a very smart patient-facing layer, that ability, that's a superpower because it doesn't stop. You've got more use cases to deploy. And so the better you get with your internal teams working with a vendor like us at that integration, those, those systems integrations, that, that becomes a kind of accelerating superpower to take on a lot more and get a lot more done. Yeah, and, and maybe to expand on that just for a second, Colin, mm. you know, on that readmission example, sure, I've got care coordinators that can and readmission people that can go out and and, and try to handle that. But the reality is there's only so many of them and a lot more hospital and ER discharges than we can possibly handle. What this layer allows for is essentially having an automated uh, chatbot, an automated AI that can in real time inform our readmission care coordinators, uh-oh, here's a red flag. We probably need to act on this one to prevent that readmission from occurring. So one thing that I just love about this technology, especially LifeLink's technology, is this person in the loop concept of being able to have one of the outcomes be, uh-oh, there's a red flag. Let's link it directly into the systems that you've already got built, into the processes you've already got built, and make sure you can act on it. And that all that does is just make the resources, the processes you have that much more efficient and effective. Yeah, just, just like an agent, a human agent has a mm-hmm. facing one way in their seat is talking to a patient or texting them or emailing them. That agent swivels in his or her chair 
and updates a system that other people inside the organization rely on for up-to-date information about the patient and their status. This is exactly what a smart chatbot-like system does. It interacts with patients, but it also takes information and updates, whether it's taking a form that was completed during intake and pushing it back into the EMR, that's a whole dimension. So you can think of these smart systems as not just outward facing, but inward facing to the organization to keep those systems and those, those agents and those, those teams up to date. So Jay, is this next? Is this what, is this what's going to come next for your deployment or do you have other use cases that will happen? So we've got a number of use cases that'll happen before that. Um, You know, we tend to uh, partner with LifeLink in a way that we develop a use case um, uh, the next use case before we're even finished deploying the last one. Uh, so one more example I know we, we're starting to deploy is a, a referral management use case for this technology. Um, and, you know, we've got a system to help manage referrals out of our primary care base to a specialist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we use a chat bot to help ensure those referrals go as smooth as possible and make sure, okay, you've got a visit with this cardiologist on this date and time, here's the exact location, here's a link to the, the Google map of it, this is what they look like, here's the doctor's name and information, don't forget your doctor, your primary care doctor wants you to ask about these things, um, and then check in after the visit, how did it actually go? So all of that's built and ready to launch as well. And I, I think, our again, our roadmap is uh, pretty pretty robust with this technology because we really do see it as you know, a, a great solution to help expand all of the touches we possibly can get with our patients and expand the engagement that we can get that way as well. Awesome. I'm sure your community would be very happy when those additional uh, use cases roll out from you. Yes. Yes, they will. So we're getting to the end here and I, gotta, I always like to end with this kind of question. Um, so it's two parts. First, first one is if someone's listening to this kind of interested in getting started, who hasn't really gotten started with an AI, uh, you know, um, uh, voice enabled chatbot, what would you recommend Jay in terms of how should they get started? Yeah, I, I would ask yourself, um, and it's not hard to do in healthcare. L- look at the work you're doing. And find that work, whether it's in a primary care office, a hospital, or somewhere, where you have the same conversation happening 80% of the time, and that conversation, that, that information gathering, information sharing, is eating up a ton of resources. That is a prime candidate for automation. And if you're not thinking about automation right now, um, you're, you're missing the boat in terms of what you can do for your health system, for your hospital, for your physician office, for whatever you might be uh, uh, in charge of. So I, I would just encourage you to find that one thing you want to automate and start there because it will open up all kinds of doors for you down the path. Greg? I, I concur. I mean, I think if you can identify um, a high value use case um, to start with, then I think that there are, there are so many, but, um, but picking one and just starting because a lot of times you'll hear leaders talk about patient engagement and consumerism and how important it is to up the game. 
but you can get caught in a lot of academic discussions about all the things you want to do. And right now you can get started with something. And so I would just say, pick a, pick a high value area where you know there's cost around human support and where there's some precedents where you've seen other healthcare organizations do some things. And, um, you know, pick up a technology like this. Uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're part of a larger wave of movement in, in healthcare. But I would say get in the water, get going and start building a few superpowers in this area so that you can scale across other use cases. Awesome. Well, I have to say, gentlemen, uh, it's nice to see a, a vendor and a health system work well together. Clearly, you two have a great partnership. You are joking. You uh, Clearly, Jay, you're pushing LifeLink in terms of their roadmap. So I applaud you for that because that's how we get innovation is when customers like you push the vendors to do things and stretch their products. So uh, it's just nice to talk to a group of people who are clearly enjoying working with each other. Yes, Greg, Greg knows I like to push, but he also knows that I uh, might push him over the edge one day. So we'll, we'll have to watch that. I remember the first time I met Jay, he was about four minutes into the conversation. He said, okay, I got it. I got it. I already have 10 things. I, I know what to I, 10, 10 ideas that we can use this technology for. So yeah, I, I definitely lean on, on, on Jay for innovation and, and, and pushing us. That's a good thing for us. That's a good thing for our relationship. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for both your time. I know both of you are busy. Really appreciate you being on the program today. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Colin. This has been Colin Hung with Healthcare IT Today. Thanks for listening.